Father, we come today in awe of you. The almighty God, the creator, the sovereign one who cares about us, who's involved in our lives and is here as we worship. And we ask that our worship will bring honor and glory to you. And that as we worship, we will know your grace in our lives. And we will sense you stirring us to more. In Christ. Through him we pray. Amen. Share what a greeting with those who are in worship today. Imagine a gift so powerful in its simplicity, it can electrify the emotion. It can inspire for generations. Gifts are filled with endless possibility when they've been packed with love and sent in the name of Jesus. That's the power of a simple gift. Now imagine the power of 100 million simple gifts with Operation Christmas Child. Wow, isn't that cool? A hundred million shoeboxes. We come to celebrate what God has done. This is the first time they have got the gifts ever in their lifetime. She is in heaven. Sharing Christ's love in a tangible way has been the heartbeat of Operation Christmas Child for 20 years now. It is a ministry that captures the heart and the imagination. All around the country, volunteers are excited about Operation Christmas Child. They're packing boxes, hosting packing parties, and getting the word out about the project. Evelyn and I are going cross-country to collect items to put into the 100 millionth shoebox for Operation Christmas Child. Come on, let's go. All right. I got involved with Operation Christmas Child because it helps needy kids. What would you say to other kids out there who maybe want to do something to help other kids? Go ahead. It's, it's a hands-on project. Anybody can do it. For Operation Christmas Child, prayer is the glue that holds it all together. And these boxes carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I received my shoe box, it was my first Christmas gift ever. That's when I heard about Jesus Christ. Woo! Boy, it is fun. Man, we just keep on rolling. Operation Christmas Child has been like a key in our hand. And because of that, we even know stories where new churches being planted in new places. We are now training for the greatest journey so that they can be able to teach other children.
Brenda has a very unique story. Her mother came to the father and just didn't want her anymore. He drove her to Brenda's aunt's house. When they brought her to me, she was five months old and weighed only four pounds. If my nephew had not brought her to me, she was going to die. I want you to know that I love you and that God loves you. To think about 100 million shoebox gifts, wow, amazing. You know, every shoebox is important. They're kind of like snowflakes. There's no two boxes alike. And every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God. Thank you for being a part of it. God bless you. We need your prayers and we need your help. So we're participating in Operation Christmas Child again this year. There's an insert in your bulletin today. There are more of them if you need more. I encourage you to do this. You can do it individually. You can do it as a, uh, as a dorm floor, an apartment, your, you know, each member of your family or together or whatever you want to do. But we'd love to get a couple hundred shoeboxes to send to the distribution center to be a part of sending these out to children for whom this might be their, probably is, their only uh, gift. And so uh, we encourage you to be a part of that. The brochure has information about what to put in the box and how to do it. And you can drop them off at the table in the Christian education for you. You can leave them back here, too, and we'll make sure they get over there. Uh, but uh, in the next uh, few weeks through mid-November, we'll be collecting these and then sending those along. Thanks in advance for your help. Uh, there are just a few things I want to highlight in the bulletin. Um, you will notice that uh, tomorrow at 1230, there's a meeting for people who might be interested in participating in a ministry at the nursing home. We'd go up once a week and uh, interact with the residents, and uh, Paul Shea is going to be leading that. If you're interested, you can come to the luncheon, or you can email him, and uh, he will contact him, and we'll get you information. It's not limited to students. If, you're, uh, if, if you are a, a part of the, the larger community, uh, we'd love to have you be a part of this as well, something we do together. Uh, you also notice that we are, again, participating and uh, hosting a three-week, 24-7 prayer vigil. This is the fifth time we've done this, and it's one of the most exciting times in the life of our church. Um, and next week, we'll begin sign-ups for it. We, we're going to be doing some similar things in the prayer rooms, but there'll be some new things as well. We are One thing we're working on is a prayer walk. We're going to be doing some things that are connected to the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, so we, we hope you'll plan now to be a part of the prayer vigil. And as I mentioned, next week will be more information and the sign-ups I'll start signing up next week for hours in the prayer room. Uh, also, we're continuing to collect recipes for the Fruit of the Spirit cookbook, uh, recipe book. There were a couple of uh, comments that I, I heard this week, so I wanted to clarify. One is it's not just desserts. Uh, you know, if you have a recipe that is something other than a dessert, we'd love to have it. And also, please feel free to, um, to include multiple recipes. You don't, you're not limited to one. Put in as many as you'd like to put in. And uh, that will help fill up the book. So thanks for your help in making that. And we'd love to have the book be uh, our recipes as much as possible. For thanks. So thanks for your help with that book. 
We're going to uh, ask the ushers to come and assist us as we give our tithes and offerings to God. And after the offertory is done, uh, we're going to be praying together. If you would like to use the altar as a place where you pray and offer your prayers to God, I invite you that when the song is done and we begin to pray, please come up and join me. to the fatherless, defender of the weak, freedom for the prisoner, we sing, this is God in his holy place, this is God
Heavenly Father, we come today to acknowledge your greatness. We thank you that you are the almighty God for whom nothing is impossible. And you are the God of compassion and grace who never turns us away, never rejects us, but loves us without end. You have invited us to come and to offer our prayers to you, pour out before you the burdens and the concerns of our hearts. And today we come, there's stuff about our lives and the lives of those who are close to us. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers for comfort or healing, for restoration, for your grace in us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer our prayers for the world, for the needs of our county, our state, for the needs of our nation, I think especially of the leaders of our nation, for the world, the struggles and the problems and the all of the issues in our world of pain and heartache and struggle for our brothers and sisters and the great difficulties that so many of them face. Lord, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers for others. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray, Father, that you will teach us to trust you, to love you, and to live in the freedom of your love for us. We thank you for all of your blessings. We thank you for all of the ways in which you are at work in us and in this world. And we offer our prayers in gratitude and thanksgiving. And we pray them in the name of Jesus, the incarnate Son, the crucified King, the risen Lord, our returning Savior. Scripture reading is from Matthew 18, 21 to 35. 
Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all your debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Thanks be to the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing together. i 
Father, speak into our lives through your word. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. Give us minds to understand every part of our being. Let us hear you. And let you work in us. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Human beings tend to be impatient by nature, right? I mean, we all, in one way or another, wrestle with being impatient. And I suspect that there, there's, all, there's something on your mind today, even as I say that, that you can think, yeah, I remember that. I'm going to give you a chance to talk about that. I want you to, to turn as groups, just people around you for 60 seconds, 75 seconds, just talk to each other about a recent moment of impatience. Okay, go. I sense a lot of impatience in this group. There's a lot of talking going on here as we think about impatience. Well, it is. It's part of our nature. And, you know, it, it, one of the reasons that we chose the orange as the fruit for impatience is it's so hard to get open, right? I mean, you, all kinds of, somebody after first service said what they do is they smash it and roll it around. And I'm thinking, really? That works? I said, yeah, it just sort of comes apart. I'm thinking, all right. Any fruit you have to smash to get into it, not my idea of a good one, but they said it worked. But you know, it is, it is symbolizes the, the struggle we have with impatience. We want fruit that you can get to a lot easier. Maybe even you don't have to peel it at all and just eat the whole thing. But there's a lot of stuff. I don't know what you talked about, but I suspect it might have had something to do maybe with something that takes place in your car. Uh, maybe something like that. <laughs> maybe it's your family. That often is a, a reason for impatience. As you've got the beanbag beans all over the family room. Maybe it has something to do with, I mean, for me this morning, it was taking the dog out and trying to get him to hurry up because I had things to do. Let's go, come on, you know. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is for you, but I saw this uh, idea of how you can solve it. And this is one solution. And there are times where you feel like that's what you want to do. You just want to bang your head. Impatience is a struggle for us. Which is why... Paul, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, talking about what it's like, what happens in us when we are walking in the Spirit, when the Spirit of Christ lives in us, when our passion is God, one of the things that's going to come out of us, one of the characteristics, is love, joy, peace, patience. It's patience. Patience that, like peeling an orange. I've come to the conclusion that maybe patience might be the most profound sign of the Spirit in us. Because it's so real. You know, love is kind of nebulous, but patience is not. Now this word that is translated patience in Galatians 5 is... It's interesting because maybe the old English in some of the translations, King James, it actually uses the word 
not patience, but he uses the word long-suffering. And there's something descriptive about that word, long-suffering. That you're willing to suffer at length with somebody or for someone. It's probably not a coincidence that our English word patience and the word we use to describe someone who's in the hospital are pretty close. Because it's hard being a patient. You give up being a patient. And being patient means giving up the right to being short-tempered, giving up the right to get what I want now. Being patient means being willing to let some things slide. Now, being patient isn't necessarily always passive, but it's an attitude of our minds and our hearts, and it's the way we, we react to people in situations as they develop. We are long-suffering. Another way of interpreting that word is that it's being long-tempered. We don't hear that a lot. We hear a lot about being short-tempered. We don't hear a lot about being long-tempered. But that's what patience is about. It is holding back. It is choosing to say, I will not respond the way everything in my being wants to respond Because it would hurt them, because it would hurt me, because it just wouldn't help the situation at all. I'm going to be patient. Long-suffering. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from God. It intrigues me how many times throughout the scriptures God describes himself as patient. Beginning in Exodus, actually it begins way back, but, but specifically in Exodus 34, as, as God is establishing the nation of Israel and he's speaking to Moses and he says, here's who I want you to, here's, here's who I am. This is who the Israelites need to know. This is what they need to know about me. I am a God of compassion and grace and patience. Slow to anger. And he says it again in Numbers And he says it again through the psalmist in chapter 86. Nine times he talks about being patient, slow to anger, long-suffering. Why does God mention it so often? Because we're so good at needing him to be patient. I mean, we are continually testing his patience. And God says, this is my nature. This is my character. This is who I am. Because of who God is, and as he lives in us, and as he works in us, the fruit of the Spirit is we become like that too. It comes out of us. And so we come to the parable that we read a few moments ago. The slave comes to his master, owes him millions of dollars, couldn't begin to repay it in 20 lifetimes. And he says to his master, be what? Patient with me and I will pay back everything. The master knows there's no way in the world he could pay back even any of it hardly. He's a servant. He says, okay. And the guy goes out, he sees somebody who owes him a few bucks, and the guy does the exact, it's the exact same words, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. And 
the guy turns on him and throws him into prison. And Jesus says, that's not exactly how my kingdom should be working. You're patient with others because I'm patient with you. And my patience for you ought to be seen as you are patient with others. And isn't it fascinating that the end of the parable, the, the king, when, it, when he goes to the king and says, be patient with me, I'll pay back everything. The king doesn't say, all right, I'll give you a shot. I'll give you six months to see what you can pay me back. He just says, all right, let's just forget the whole thing. And it's not a coincidence that this is the parable Jesus tells right after Peter asks, Lord, how many times do I forgive the people who hurt me? How many times do I have to be patient with people who try my patience? Seven times? That's really pretty good, I think. It's more than Thomas is doing. You know? Jesus says, in my kingdom, we have a little different economy. Why, why is that the economy that God expects of us? What is, why is that what God desires out of his people? Because that's who he is. And God in us, should, it should come out of us. God's patient. But you know, the more I pondered this, the thought struck me that maybe, maybe our struggle with with you know, our, our understanding of God being patient is not just about God being patient with us, but it's about us being patient with God. See, we like the fact that God is patient, and that means he forgives us, and he doesn't hold everything against us, and, and, and like the master in the, in the parable, he forgives the debt that we owe. We're not so fond of the fact that God is always patient about all things, including those circumstances in which he isn't acting as quickly as we would like for him to. In his book, Uncommon Decency, Richard Mao's last chapter is titled, Serving a Slow God. Serving a Slow God. God And I love that title and I love that chapter because it's all about the ways in which God works far more slowly than we do. And sometimes God does work quickly, but God's primary means of acting in the world is slow. A lot slower than we want to act, a lot slower than we want God to act. And so it creates a spirit of impatience in us, not just with other people, but with God. And, and you hear, you read in the scriptures over and over again, how long, O oh Lord? How long? How long do we have to wait for you to act? How long are you going to hold this against us? How long are we going to, ha- until you take care of our, our enemies? How long will you be angry with us? How long will you look on us and do nothing How long are you going to sit there? How long? You can sense the impatience in the writers of Scripture. And we recognize that because we see it in ourselves. 
Lord, when are you going to do something? When are you going to change this? When are you going to change them? When are we going to see you at work? Why do we have to wait? For some reason, God loves waiting. He loves making us wait. He loves calling, asking us to wait. In Acts chapter 1, as Jesus prepares to ascend into heaven, and he talks to the disciples about the Holy Spirit that's going to be coming, he only has one thing to say to them, one command, wait. Wait. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And I'm convinced that God is enamored with waiting, having us wait, because it's, all, it's in waiting that we begin to leak. You know what I mean? When we are waiting, we're put in circumstances where things aren't turning out the way we want them to, when things are going much more slowly than we would like for them to, our real character tends to come out of us. Whether we're going to be patient with God or get angry with God or just give up on God. Ernest Hemingway was injured in World War I. I think they, I read the doctors took 237 pieces of shrapnel out of him. And in his lengthy convalescence, he, he, you know, he was in one of those large open wards that uh, soldiers were in who were injured. And, and he watched the other people in that ward as they recovered from their injuries. And he said some of them took it very seriously and they used that time to grow and mature and become better people while others used that time just to whine and complain and very shallow and immature. And he said what he noticed is being placed in that position where all they could do was wait. They had no control over anything that really happened to them. And in that period of waiting, what was really inside of them came out. What was really important to them came out. And from that, Hemingway tended to debase the plot lines for his, for his stories and his novels where he put people in situations where it was a, a difficult place and they were waiting for something to happen. And then he revealed how they might handle that. And in a similar way, sometimes God has us wait because we need to see what's really inside of us. It needs to be dealt with. And we will be in denial. We'll ignore it. We'll forget about it until we're confronted with it in a way that only waiting can do. But I also think God puts us in positions to wait because there's no other way to learn how to trust Him outside of waiting. You know, only when you're waiting can you really learn to trust. Trust is not something you can learn by theory. You can only learn to trust by being placed in places and positions and circumstances where you have to trust. And we can talk about trusting God all we want. But only when we're in the circumstances where we are asked to trust will we learn to trust. There is no other way. And the reason that trusting God is so important is because it's only as we learn to trust God that we experience the fullness of God in our lives. All that we were created to be and all that we are recreated to be. All of God's joy and blessing and peace and grace. Everything that God desires for us, 
can only be found and experienced when we trust him. And we don't just trust him once, we trust him continually. And waiting continually presents us with opportunities to trust him. And it's God's desire for us to experience all of him. And that's why he wants us to trust him. But it's hard for us to wait. I mean, we live in a society where everything is about fast, 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 fast. Immediate. It's just getting more and more the case. Years ago, you send a letter. When I was in seminary, my parents lived in the Philippines. And it would take, you know, I'd write a letter to them. And it would take few weeks to get there and a few weeks for them to reply and write back. And that was better than 100 years before when it took months for that to happen. And then email and you know all the things. And now, if we don't get a reply from someone almost instantaneously, we think, what's wrong with them? And we're all about fast, all about speed. We find all kinds of ways, every way we can, to, to try to, to beat waiting. Waiting at a toll booth drives us crazy, so on the highway. So now they create easy pass so you can drive right through. But that's not enough because you have to slow down a little bit. So now they have highways where you just keep going and they take a picture of your license plate. And you can go online some point and pay your toll. You know, fast food, same way. You know, we don't sit down in restaurants much anymore. I mean, a lot of people don't. You, you, you go in, you get your food quickly, and then that wasn't enough because, as John Ortberg says, we, we needed food like God intended, to eat it in our vans. And that's what, we, that's what we're supposed to do. So you drive to go through the drive-thru, and now you can call ahead so that when you get there, it's already ready. You don't have to wait for the ordering process. It's all about fast. But it's not just fast. It's about valuing productivity more than process. See, this demand for fast causes us to create a mindset that only the end is what matters. And so we're always talking about how productive a person is. How much did you accomplish? How much did you do? How much did you sell? How much did you make? It's all about productivity. We even talk about people in terms of, are they a productive member of society? And we place value on people by how productive they are or they aren't. It's all about productivity. And we convert that into how we live our lives with God. We think in terms of of the end result. Now, it's not as though God isn't interested in productivity. It's not as though we aren't interested in productivity. It's not, oh, it's not just a bad thing. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who, who is planted like a tree by, by water, and, and their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they produce a great harvest. But see, we think the goal is to produce a great harvest. The goal is to plant your tree by the water, to delight in the law of the Lord. And then when you do that, the result of that goal is a harvest. The same way with scattering seed. You know the parable Jesus tells where seed falls on different kinds of, so- of ground and it falls, some of it falls on good soil and it takes root and it grows up and Jesus says it produces 30, 60, 100 times what, this, what was originally in the seed. And see, we think the goal is producing this harvest 
But really the goal is to create soil in which the seed can grow and take root. And the productivity is simply the result of working toward that goal of the right kind of soil. We think it's the, we think it's the end, but God keeps telling us it's the means. And that's why waiting is so important. We're always antsy about getting to the end. And God is saying, but I want to do something for you now. Now we'll get to the end. But you never get to the end if you aren't thinking about now. And so we, we do this about our spiritual lives. And we think that holiness or being godly, that, that, that's the goal. But really the goal is trusting God. The goal is learning how to surrender our hearts day by day to God. And when we do that, when, when we learn to trust Him and to surrender ourselves to Him, then the holiness and the godliness and the Christ-likeness and the fruit of the Spirit begins to come out of us. You think about a godly person you know. Somebody that you think, if I could be like someone, I would want to be like them. There's something about them that they just seem connected to God. They, they, they are a holy, godly person. I would love to be like them. You think about that person, and it, are they that way because they haven't had any struggles in life? I doubt it. Probably had more than most people. Are they that way because they are perfect? They never do anything wrong? I don't think so. Are they that way because they follow all the rules exactly right? All the do's and the don'ts and they've got all... No. It's because they are learning and are committed to learn how to trust God. How to surrender themselves to God. And that opens their lives up for the Spirit to fill them. And then godliness and holiness and the fruit of the Spirit comes out of them. And that's why prayer is so vital to the fruit of the Spirit. Because only when we pray, only when we surrender ourselves in prayer, can we develop what God wants to develop in us. See, we often, when we think about prayer and waiting, we're often thinking, Lord, how long do I have to wait for you to answer my prayer? How long do I have to keep praying until I can badger you enough to do what I want you to do? But God's perspective is exactly the opposite. With God, waiting is the praying. And praying is waiting. We're not waiting for God to give us what we want. We're waiting for God to work in our lives and in our hearts so we want what He wants. So that He changes us and transforms us and that's why we're working, moving, connecting the, through the Spirit with the prayer vigil. We have an opportunity over these three weeks to pray again and again and again about God's Spirit in us, to develop the kind of soil out of which the fruit of the Spirit grows, to plant our tree by the water, the living water of Christ, so that it produces a harvest. And learning to trust in the moments of waiting Prayer is vital to that. But let me warn you. If you pray for God to teach you patience, He will give you a lot of opportunities to learn. 
but that's how we do it. God wants to do more in our lives than any of us can dream or imagine. He truly wants to transform us and to fill us with with the fullness of his blessing and grace and love and mercy. Everything that we were created to experience and all that we yearn to experience. And more often than not, it will come from waiting as we learn to trust him. And in that trusting, we learn to be patient with God that enables us to be patient with each other. Heavenly Father, you know the struggle that we all feel and wrestle with about patience. Open our eyes today to your goodness, to your love, and even in the moments of waiting, You are working in greater ways than we could imagine. We ask this through Christ. Amen. As we're preparing to sing the last song, I want to again remind you of some ways in which you can respond to whatever God may be saying to you today. There are cards on the outside, insides of each of the rows. Make sure everybody in your row gets one of those. And sometime today, write on the card whatever God may be saying to you about patience. It might be something that encourages you. It might be something that convicts you. But write something down and keep it in front of you through the week. Let me encourage you to join others who are taking five minutes a day, this, every day this week, to pray for patience. And if this morning you would like to have someone pray for you, talk with you, listen to you, please feel free to go downstairs after the service and the elders will be there to, to pray, to listen, to, to share with you and to listen to you share with them about what God may be doing in your life. Let's stand as we sing. Oh, to be like the blessed redeemer, this is our Longing at prayer, that we will forfeit all of our treasures. Jesus, the perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like me, oh, to be like me, blessed Redeemer. Glory is the Lord, glory is the sweet.
you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.